0: Welcome to the Spit It Out podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Avi Robbins. We're bringing you engaging discussions with thought leaders from academia and industry as we explore everything from what's in your saliva to why it's a good indicator of your overall health. Join us as we raise awareness around what saliva can tell us, why it's important for the future of healthcare, and what some really awesome people are doing about it today. Today we're speaking with Shyam Saladi. Please join me in welcoming Shyam to our podcast. He is the founder and lead scientist at Neelix Labs, a trailblazing clinical laboratory and diagnostic firm. They established Neelix in 2020 in response to the COVID-19 crisis and has become a leading force in the battle against the pandemic. With over 1 million COVID-19 RT-PCR tests conducted for communities, schools, and governments, and the development of four novel clinical diagnostics, Neelix is driving innovation in the healthcare space. With Shyam at the helm, Neelix is a visionary dedicated to ultra low cost diagnostics and ultra rapid molecular testing and achieving this through ingenious design and engineering. Shyam holds a bachelor of sciences degree in electrical engineering and molecular and cellular biology from the University of Illinois, followed by graduate work in biochemistry and biophysics at the California Institute of Technology, where his research has been published in membrane protein biogenesis and transport. And he just completed the defense of his PhD at Caltech. I'm honored to have you here with us today, Shayam, especially on the heels of your PhD defense, and to talk about your groundbreaking work and the future of healthcare. So welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really excited. This is a great podcast. I've listening through a couple of previous episodes, have some really big, well-known folks on the podcast, and so grateful to be part of this community.
0: Yeah, you know, I think what excites me and what gets us going is just talking to people that care about the science and making a difference in healthcare, which I think, Really has been demonstrated through your work at, at Neelix and some of your other research. Maybe um, just to kick things off, you can give us a little bit more about your background and you know what got you to where you are today.
1: Yeah, so my path has been been somewhat winding. I can't believe that you know I am where I am today. I've always loved science. I've always loved to research. Did a PhD at Caltech in biochemistry, and I was really excited about the idea of bringing data science and machine learning and data to create knowledge in biochemistry and was embedded in this laboratory of really brilliant biochemists trying to say, hey, we have all this beautiful data that you've taken so much time to create, careful handiwork. Can we build models from it, testable hypotheses, and then go back and use the same methods to test them? You know, I've always seen myself as an engineer. And so that's what I was doing in this laboratory. I was saying, hey, you guys have great data, great science. Can I just build some models, build some solutions, build some things on top of them? Just a sort of like engineering mindset. You want to make stuff. So when the pandemic hit, you know, like for everybody, it was confusing. It was crazy. But for me, it was also, you're seeing things in the news, like there's not enough test kits. There's not enough nucleic acid extraction kits. You know, I was sort of sitting there and things that we've literally done in the laboratory, like assembling reagents for nucleic acid extractions not because they weren't short supply but because we were cheap (laughs) we knew how to mix things together and we knew how to validate them to make sure they worked we knew how to regenerate columns the lab was like really self-contained in a way anything you don't want to do you want to figure out to do just because you're right and we were hearing things like there's not enough test kits not enough capacity i found myself sort of sitting there being like what this is bizarre this is odd rt pcr is something that i've done hundreds of times over the course of the last decade how is it possible that this is what's, you know, causing us so much trouble in the world? So, you know, I was confined to 750 square feet in my apartment with three roommates <laughs> and just like pacing back and forth being like, what is going on? And it took several months. That time I was still a PhD student and to sort of figure out all the reasons why I shouldn't go out into the world with others and say, Let's just try and address this problem. Yeah. And later 2020, I think, like all of us, we were sort of thinking, well, it's just gonna be a couple of months, and this will be over. And so, I had to first convince myself that it's not gonna be a couple of months. Convince myself, hey, like in this regulated, complicated healthcare space, can we really figure this out? And so, we assembled a team beyond and we said, we need some folks from healthcare, we need folks from like community, we need folks from the sciences. And we need to understand all the regulations around this. We also need folks on the tech side to build EMR systems to connect with people and laboratory information systems that are high throughput. And so late in 2020, we started Neelix Labs and just mobilized as a RT-PCR, molecular biology laboratory in response to COVID. And our stated goal was just to faster, more reliable, more accurate, higher throughput, um, more efficient processes for COVID testing. Remembering, like, this was before Binax antigen tests or right.
0: vaccines. Because you were waiting seven days to get a PCR result, right?
1: Exactly.
0: But you're waiting for several hours in a drive through, right, to give your sample.
1: And for us, coming from the academic background, we felt like what was most worth our time was to do testing for schools. Okay. And so, you know, that was where we started. We started by testing for schools and it just started from there. We wanted to help get those you know, kids back in school. Yeah. Since then, we tested for, you know, nursing homes, for congregate living, for government, for courts, you know, for folks who were traveling, folks who were at the airport giving us a phone call saying, hey, I don't have a test and I'm going abroad. And we said, yeah, no problem. Take an Uber here and we'll help you. You know, at the same time, we're really scientists and scientists and engineers excited about innovation. And so that's where our involvement with Saliva Direct started, like recognizing that, hey, this is a really innovative group out of Yale trying to just do good. They weren't trying to make any money. You know, there was a lot of people trying to make money out of the pandemic and really with poor motivations and This was a group that said hey we have a new method we think that it's a much lower cost to run it's much easier to collect it's much easier for the lab to process can we roll this out to the world and it really is something that fit with our ethos you know neelix was never out there to make any money we were there just to test because people needed testing we could do it when we heard about saliva direct, we jumped at the opportunity and said hey what are you doing and how can we help and you know we were excited about saliva as a sample type because You have folks coming to testing sites needing a nasopharyngeal swab, and the question was, why is another sample type, you know, we're wearing masks over our nose and mouth. Perhaps saliva could work, and that's where it started.
0: So did you initially start your lab with nasopharyngeal swabs and then pick up the saliva direct method, or did you start with saliva? Just curious how that...
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we started with the, at that time, anti-urinaires and nasopharyngeal, depending on who you asked were the standard of care. And we pretty quickly moved to saliva.
0: Gotcha. The other question I had, was, was, uh, you know, a lot of folks, especially at university, like we're rushing to create, you know, university-based testing models, right? And starting up these molecular diagnostic laboratories. Curious, you came back home to Chicago, I believe, right? To start up Neelix. What was Caltech's response, you know, on their campus to the pandemic and maybe it had an influence or not on what you guys decided to do?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was actually a number of months trying to figure out, hey, this is a university laboratory. Why don't we start a clinical laboratory? Why don't we do diagnostic testing? There's certainly many in the community around us that needed it. And I think many universities were somewhat worried, at least in the early days, about the legal ramifications if they didn't have a medical center, saying, recognizing, feeling like they didn't have the right expertise. In the end, I think it's just, you know, as a graduate student, students are just not empowered. They're empowered to do research, but not empowered to do other things. And so it just made so much sense to say, hey, let me try and make this happen myself. And I'm so glad that I did, starting a testing program after we had started many months later. I'm actually I've seen their testing facility and been in touch with the folks who started it and what they're doing is incredible.
0: No, that's great. You mentioned when you came across Saliva Direct, you thought it really fit well with what Neelix was out to do. And I thought, you know, it was really probably important to point out some of the core values that you have because I think, although, of course, noble, just like Saliva Direct, in trying to make healthcare more affordable and make it more equitable, I really like the innovation approach, right? And the community driven aspect of Saliva Direct and what you're trying to do. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how that works, how you've been leveraging those core values to drive your business and what you're doing today.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when we started Neelix, we really wanted to set the stage for why were we doing this and, you know, what are our values? And we came upon, after quite a bit of searching and discussion and et cetera, Remember, we're academics. No decisions happen (laughs) quickly. It requires a lot of thought, and so
0: you got to look at it all angles. That makes sense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Our core values at Neelix are quality, innovation, and service. And you know, we think about quality. It's really a recognition of the fact that we are a clinical laboratory that we're providing diagnostic results data to folks who are then going to take that information and change their life. It means that, you know, we have to take things like privacy that's super important to us. We have to. Things like rapid results. This is not an experiment in the laboratory. This is somebody giving us some sample and they're looking for something out of that. And so it's our responsibility to get back to them in a timely manner. It is a lot about innovation. Some of our core founding group are scientists. And so we want to know what the problems are. And then we want to figure out community-driven solutions. And not all solutions are technological. Many of them are not. A lot of them have to do with how you deliver on the surface. So we do a lot of research. We do a lot of clinical research. We also do a lot of technical development in terms of how do you make a report of results available to a patient, recognizing during COVID you don't have a doctor in the middle there who is interpreting it for a patient. And so we spent a lot of time trying to figure out and iterate what you should say to somebody and how do you make those experiences interactive? How do you create a real value add instead of just like a positive or negative? And, uh, you know, it also relates to the fact that we, you know, developed a number of different sequencing approaches for a number of different diseases, including COVID. and We were some of the first in the country with a sequencing variant, sequencing-based variant test for COVID. So for a period of time, many patients who tested with Neelix either directly or through one of our partners, who tested positive, got information about the variant and the lineage and the study mutations, which is somewhat unique in the country. Yeah. The last piece here is service. I mean, if there's anything that's going to bring an academic out of academia, it's the fact that we get to help somebody. And so, you know, we've never charged any patient for a COVID test, whether it was reimbursed or not by a third party. We're about equity and education. I think a lot of professional development of all of our staff and, you know, we do our best, you know, recognize that we might have tested folks from all over the country. We're really in the background, but we make an effort to make ourselves available and accessible in our own community here. Yeah. So if a fitness center wants to have testing on site, a collection's on site, we realize it's only going to be a few samples, but we'll do it. We'll make it possible. We'll make it happen for them.
0: That's awesome. One of the things that I've enjoyed most about talking to folks like yourself is just seeing the passion people have for their community and their willingness to really step up and support the community. I think, you know, without getting into a whole conversation about the state of our healthcare system, right, and how you make that better, which, you know, everything has room for improvement. What people are willing to do to help other people has really been inspiring for me in this journey. And, you know, excited to hear that, you know, on your side too. And I think together we'll find the way, right, to make our communities a better place.
1: Absolutely. It's not just us along with everybody else trying to
0: solve right. So maybe um COVID is coming and going and coming and going. You know, how do you see Neelix transitioning or what have you been doing? I know you've been working for quite some time on some really neat innovations. Maybe talk to us a little bit about your transition away from COVID, where you are today. What are some of the things you're excited about?
1: Yeah, so Neelix has been, over the last year and a half, you know, as the volume, of the emergency period of the pandemic came to a close and well, as the number of antigen tests and vaccination has really increased and all that has become widely available, we asked ourselves the question of, what have we learned from COVID and what we've done and what are we good at? And where are also the urgent needs that need solving, that need solutions? And this sort of came up organically last summer, summer 2022, there was an outbreak of monkeypox now called mpox, which is a virus that is in the same family as smallpox. There wasn't a test available, easily, broadly, you know, widely available with reasonable turnaround times. And so we said, Hey, we were chilling at the time after, you know, volumes had dropped and, you know, and we said, hey, we have validated laboratory processes for COVID testing so many times over the course of pandemic like one supplier would say oh you know i'm not sure where things are going to be in a month and so we would say okay we're not sure where you're going to be so we're going to validate something else just in case yeah. you have to do that within a couple of days you couldn't do it over weeks but then it might be out and so when we heard about mpox we said hey let's treat this as a war game and let's see how fast can we actually come up with a test that's clinically validated we were so excited to validate the test and then we made it available we were worst labs in the country to make it available and at the time we got in touch with STI clinics, coincidentally, we were using us for COVID testing ahead of time before that and said, hey, if you need MPOX testing, we will guarantee that we can turn this around for you on the same evening. What we had done really recognizing at early stages of an outbreak, that's the most critical time to get results out in an immediate way it's not something where you can wait a week or we a couple of days patients are worried providers are worried everybody wants information so we've validated a method an ultra fast rtpcr machine can do 45 cycles in 15 minutes so that gives you the time to receive the samples process them run them once if you need to run them again you can still run them again and the text can still leave at a reasonable hour in the evening and so you know the providers appreciated that their patients appreciated that patients would always get the results by the next yeah. morning and so that's where we sort of started and said, hey, there is something. We had these conversations continue with these STI clinics, and they were like, hey, if you can do this at MPOX, why can't you do this for chlamydia and gonorrhea and trichinomas and HPV, all these other sexually transmitted infections? And folks in the community brought to our eyes, brought to light the fact that there is an epidemic of STIs in the country. Yeah. If we had better testing and testing was more available, then we could really help address this, this epidemic of STIs. So. Earlier this year, Neelix launched various panels of STI tests from, you know, standard of care specimen types, made these available to our partnered providers and clinics. We also have a number of different studies in place to validate at-home tests. Many STI clinics have patients collect samples from private areas themselves. Patients prefer that, providers prefer that. It's respectful, it's empowering. And so if patients can safely, effectively from the office setting, there's lots of papers on this as well. Why couldn't you do it from the home setting? Because right. we know that when you're looking for nucleic acid type tests, these are materials that are extremely stable over the course of shipping. How to do things, we know how not to do things. And so we figured, let's see if we can validate a test kit. And we hope to get this out to the FDA and get an FDA clearance like many others to make it widely available to everyone in the country. So at some point we feel like there is stigma associated with STI testing and everything we can do to help address that we're allowed to. and the way we can do that is by building new technologies like at-home tests
0: i would certainly support that i think from what we've seen you know a very important area right where especially when you talk about you know access to healthcare. Comfort and privacy is super important there, right? People sometimes avoid the testing because you're embarrassed to go in and do these types of things. So having it available in the comfort of your home or wherever is a safe space for you, I think, is phenomenal. Yeah, best of luck in that. I hope that continues to go well.
1: Yeah. So Avi, I'll tell you something that's interesting about this. I think you'll appreciate. Okay. We're excited about saliva. We love saliva direct and love saliva as a sample type. And so. You know, we figured HSV-1 herpes is, presents in oral lesions. So we want to ask the question, how many of these STIs can you actually detect? I and mean, quick? is an HIV test from saliva, um, either serologically looking for antibodies or, you know, looking for actual target pathogen material, um, nucleic acid material. And so we have an ongoing study that asks folks um, at STI clinics for paired saliva samples. And it's just perspective. You want to know, hey, can you do this or can you not? There's a few studies around it, but definitely more data is necessary. I don't know how long that'll take, but maybe in a couple of years we have good results from this study and the following ones, we might see salivary or saliva-based STI type.
0: That is fascinating and that's really what it takes, right? Like every place you go with saliva just as an example. There's question like, is it possible, right? And then how do you create the scientific evidence, right? And because it's so fragmented, sometimes it's just place where the conversation ends. So to me, it is exciting to see that you're willing to kind of endeavor there and find the local partners that are interested in making that difference. And yeah, you just gotta start somewhere, right? Start collecting the samples and see how the data looks. Exactly. That is great. And so are you basically receiving these samples in, monitoring, to probing for s- specific elements longitudinally? Or,
1: Yeah, so the study that I was just describing is really sort of simple paired sample study. So folks who are coming in for STI testing as ordered or suggested by a provider, well, the clinic asked them if yeah. they wouldn't mind putting additional saliva samples. By now, lots of people have done saliva samples. It's not that big of a deal. Sure,
0: they're not scared of that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so what we found in our partners is they know their clients really well. Their clients trust them. They feel comfortable. They're happy to provide a saliva sample. And so we get that as a laboratory and we work with our partners and we're hoping to put out papers on this topic. And so patients and their doctors get information about You know, results in the standard of care specimen. And then we internally have the saliva results. And in the future, we'll be able to compare to see, hey, how often were you able to detect in saliva versus the standard of care specimen?
0: Oh, that's excellent. I look forward to touching base with you on that and seeing how that goes in the coming months.
1: Yeah, I would love to.
0: How does the MPOX testing look for what you've seen in saliva as you compare it to STIs and some of these other viruses? As we think about saliva and its accessibility, what have you generally seen, I guess, in terms of the success of some of these tests, right? Versus, you know, whatever the standard care may be today.
1: You're right. Exactly right. And so I skipped over that point. This started with a study of MPOX and saliva last summer. And during an outbreak period, gonna be a little bit difficult to get folks to want to participate in a study because so you're sort of dealing with, you know, the outbreak. Right. But we did have one clinic who we worked very closely with agree to participate, really just ask their patients for a saliva sample. And so Within small numbers, it was very interesting. We were able to see that in many cases where a lesion swab tested positive for MPOX, you were able to see detection in saliva. And the hypothesis around MPOX and saliva is that lesions or maybe even micro lesions, lesions that can't be seen by the eye, form in oral cavity in your mouth sooner than they form in the rest of your body, and they also heal more quickly. And so you could imagine that saliva could be a specimen that allows for asymptomatic screening before a lesion forms. And we know that MPOX doesn't transmit through saliva. right? And so that's a study that we're very excited about, and now it's come to a close. We definitely need larger numbers to know more about this as a specimen type, but I think we're certainly more prepared for the next MPOX outbreak. Perhaps for the next one, you know, saliva will be a sample type for asymptomatic screening.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. What do you think about the rest of the, you know, COVID, obviously, respiratory, you know, presents itself there. And so there's been a lot of push towards other respiratory panels. What do you think will really, like, stick? As I think, you know, young kids, so strep is is something that's always out there. You know, there's some rapid tests out there for strep, and, you know, I had to get my daughter cultured and wait, you know, three days to get the results. Where do you think those are going, and do you see, like, more of an adoption for, whether it's saliva or just other more rapid methods?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. It's one that we're actively thinking about. And, you know, we would love to see saliva as sort of standard of care for all respiratory disease. We don't quite have the data yet. The data is sort of fragmented in what's out there. And so we do have a number of ongoing studies. Whenever providers or patients have order samples, give us samples for testing, we ask folks to provide an additional saliva sample just so we can start de- generating that data. At this point, we have significant data to show that flu A, flu B, and RSV are effectively and really reliably be detected in saliva. You know That's what we did over the last respiratory virus. And so this respiratory virus season, what we've done is we've developed ultra-low-cost huge respiratory pathogen panel sequencing as output instead of RT-PCR. So we have a study that will start once the respiratory viral season starts. We're going to ask for providers and folks with symptoms to provide us a nasal swab and a a saliva sample. Let's see, what else are you able to detect in a really effective way in saliva?
0: Will that be like a clinic-based test or is that one of the ones that you're looking at for home-based collection or...
1: Yeah, so we have two arms of the study. One is in clinics with our providers, and one is in the home setting. We know that it takes a lot for folks to go to the clinic and say, hey, I'm sick, and I'm not feeling well, can you tell me what I have? And so we want to make sure we're covering our bases here, like folks who are really feeling crummy, and then also folks who just feeling sick and like would ordinarily deal with it themselves. And, you know, we want to cover both these bases to understand, hey, what can you detect? And in a reliable
0: Oh, that's awesome. I mean, we've talked about a few things that you're already working on for the future. What else as you think about the lab and just sort of your future outlook on healthcare? What keeps you up at night or what's exciting for you?
1: Yeah. You know, so what keeps me up at night is I'm a scientist at heart and yeah, scientist and engineer. And we like building things. At Neelix, we like building things and making things. And we are experts. And so when it comes to laboratory, when it comes to sequencing and RT-PCR, we're among the best at doing what we do. And so we know how to create things that are safe and meet guidelines and meet recommendations and best practices. And, you know, what I... See happening really over time is just becoming more and more onerous for innovators like ourselves to try and build and take what we're building to market. And I feel that you know our regulations around clinical labs are really outdated. Right. And the, uh, the Clinical Laboratory Improvement Amendments, 1976, I think, <laughs> a long time ago, there was no. are
0: right. a little bit different today.
1: <laughs> we're a little bit different today, and the regulations haven't quite kept up. And unfortunately, what we're seeing right now is regulators are not quite recognizing how to tread the path here between stopping innovation and keeping patients safe. And recognizing that every clinical laboratory has board certified practitioners who are certifying every process, every procedure, everything that we do to make sure that it's safe and effective and it works really most labs are going above and beyond whatever is required by the regulations. We have processes around peer review systems where Folks who are not related to us from another laboratory come in and look over what we're doing and say, hey, is it right or it's not. And every academic knows out there that peer review is not kind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> brutally honest, right?
1: It's brutally honest. And sometimes it's worse than honest because different folks have different issues and different hills they're going to die on. And I feel like there's this whole concept and practice and process for compassionate use for drugs that the FDA right. has. We really need the same thing for diagnostics. For example, in the case of MPOX, yeah. where we had a study we really would have loved to, you know, folks give us a saliva sample and a lesion swab, and they also ask their partners who don't have lesions yet, who've been exposed, for a saliva sample, their partner comes a positive. We're really hamstrung. Even if we have something valid, we understand the mechanisms for false positives and false negatives. We don't have an easy way to let that person know or their doctor. Right. We can even go to their doctor and say, hey, doctor, your patient might need to have another test. Like, we can't even say that. And so it becomes extremely complicated. And it's just something about our regulations not keeping up.
0: Yeah, it's a tough one, right? I'm not sure if I dare ask you what you recommend. When you think about the processes and reasonable approach is to take a risk-based approach, right? And what is the potential harm? You know, are there different classes of diagnostics that we should be thinking about? But I'm certainly with you in that there's gotta be a better way. And I firmly believe that we need to keep people safe. And if there's too much flexibility, unfortunately there's people out there that might take advantage of that. But we can't stop innovation, right? And we can't make something so burdensome, right? Like the engineer in me, you know, thinks about when you put in place too much process, right? You constrain the system, right? And so I think finding that balance is the challenge for sure.
1: Exactly. I will say one thing, which is if we have new regulations and something's required of labs, It has to be like the patent office. Like folks have to be required to respond to us within a week or two weeks. Recognize like we've put expensive personnel time in developing, designing, creating, validating. You know, we're sharing what we're doing. We're uh, submitting to the regulations, which everybody will do. I mean, healthcare is highly regulated and all of us submit to regulations. Very few folks try to skirt them. We need responses in a timely manner. We can't wait nine months. That's just craziness.
0: And I think it needs to be collaborative, right? We're all trying to learn and make the systems better. So it certainly needs to be a collaborative approach because the science isn't defined in all cases, right. right? Or the evidence doesn't have 50 years of data like we do in a lot of the current assays that are on the market, right?
1: Yeah. I feel like at the end of the day, patients are actually losing. And the alternative is not fraud. The alternative is that patients are losing access to something that could help them. And so we have to always keep that in mind that who's really the winners and losers here.
0: That's a really good point. Thinking about that, thinking about the studies that you're doing, all of those things are going to help us cross some of those bridges, if you will.
1: I hope so. And, you know, one of the things that we've learned over the course of this pandemic, it's hard to call it a silver lining, but that says unexpected is that. Folks, both in the university setting, in the clinical lab setting, and independent labs, the hospital setting, can come together and build things, do things together. And it's amazing. ring, I think Saliva Direct is the best example of that. Yeah. And companies like yours are coming together and saying, how can we support each other? We all need help. We all need support. And I really want to see a lot more of that. Traditionally, universities and public health labs just sort of been aside separate from clinical labs. And I think we got to bring those worlds together. And for example, when a public health lab develops a sequencing-based assay for variant detection, They should be validating that for clinical utility and submitting it to the FDA if they can, working with independent lab if they can, and then taking that technology and saying, hey, I don't know how to use this, but it's supported by government funds. Let's just make this available. I think that's in a way a no-brainer, and we have to bring these worlds together so that things can translate from the research public health space to the clinic much, much more quickly.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great position on that. You know, we got involved fairly early on with SlavDirect as well, and I think Collaboration, like I mentioned earlier, is really just the best way for us all to, to get through it and seeing what people have done to come together has been pretty, pretty amazing. It really has. You maybe leave the audience with then as, as you think about the future of healthcare and you know where you're headed. Any kind of parting thoughts?
1: Yeah. So these last three years have been so exciting for me to recognize or not even cutting edge signs, all the signs that can be moved to the clinical space. And I've been excited about this whole growth of telehealth because of the pandemic and the massive sort of shift of primary care to telehealth. Mm-hmm. And what that really is, is movement. Like that you're going to the doctor, to the clinic, the doctor's coming to you. And as a scientist, thinking about diagnostics and even, you know, just broadly looking at healthcare imaging. Yeah. There's an opportunity here and a requirement here that all of us say, Why do you need to go to the lab to do testing? We should be able to bring things to your home. So I'm excited for, you know, 30, 40 years from now, unless it's an acute problem, I'm gonna have my telehealth, the doctor's gonna send me a kit, you know, at home before my visit. I need to get an MRI, a tiny MRI that drives up walk out to my driveway. That's totally different. I might even see a doctor more frequently if I was doing it from home. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think perhaps Dr. C has a threat to their current patient base, but I like the way you put it in terms of it really just bringing the doctors to the patient, meeting them where they are, right? right. And there's got to be a win-win, right? You can find the right applications that just enhances the healthcare experience and doesn't detract it where it's necessary, right? There's nothing that's going to ever replace in-person visits right? when they matter, right? right? But when they don't matter, you know, we can use that time to help someone that doesn't matter for it. exactly. And so I think Finding our way through that together, you know, making such a big shift is always messy, but it's certainly coming. And so finding the way, it is exciting, like you mentioned, to see how that will shape up over the next several years. Totally, yeah. Well, look, it's truly been a pleasure speaking to you today. You know, your journey from engineering to scientists to now defending your PhD, right? In the middle of all that, starting up a laboratory and COVID is really nothing short of remarkable. You know, your commitment to quick, affordable healthcare, public health, really thinking about the patients is inspiring to me. And I think our listeners, I hope, find it inspiring as well, especially as you think about what you're trying to do for your community and the people around you. That to me is, you know, where this helps us create a better place than we started. You continue to pave the way in diagnostics and I'm excited to see, you know, what's coming in the future for Neelix and you know, what some of these new tests that you're developing and how they're going to have a big impact. So. For me, personally, it's been an honor having you on the show, and I look forward to touching base in a couple months and seeing where things are.
1: Thank you so much, Avi. This has been super fun. Grateful for your invitation. Looking forward to our future further conversation.
0: Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Spit It Out podcast. I'm your host, Avi Robbins. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on our journey to raise awareness about saliva diagnostics, the future of healthcare, and hear stories from some really awesome industry and academic leaders.